IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we're going to be talking about new albums by The Hold Steady and Wild Pink. My name is Stephen Hyden and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? You know, Steve, as, as much as we are a music podcast, I like to think of IndieCast as more of like a conceptual piece about uh, kind of Zen ideas about impermanence and the flaws of memory and the inexorable march of time. Um, you know, you know, one day you're here and the next you're remembering some guys. And I think that this past Monday really uh, made made a point of that because on the fifteenth yeah. of on the on the fifteenth actually of Jan- of February, it was the ten year anniversary of the release of Frank Ocean's Nostalgia Ultra, which I could have sworn that came out in the summer, like I, because I remember having like a Strawberry Swing uh, inclusion on like an August 2011 mix. So, you know, there's apparently yeah. six months of time where like the biggest, maybe the most definitive artist of the 2011s was just not on my radar. And secondly, well, and we didn't, uh, we didn't yeah. mention that in our Indian R and B. We should have yeah. mentioned that the tenth anniversary I mean, of Nostalgia Ultra. It was, I think it was was on the horizon. I think it was posted on Tumblr or something. It wasn't like a proper release, so maybe that's a part of it. But also, um, I was expecting maybe like a ten year anniversary piece on one of my favorite albums from 2011, which was the Yuck self titled. And it turns yeah. out they broke up instead. Now I think that was surprising to me, if only because I didn't quite realize that they were still going. Um, I remember. Right. I remember the last album they put out was called. It was like actually called Stranger Things, and um, that this was maybe like 2018 or whatever, like when Stranger Things was an actual thing. So, um, yeah, very poignant. I don't. Re- I I didn't know that at all. I knew their first record. Yeah, and I remember liking it, and then they just fell off the map for me. But I know. From like reading on on Twitter that it seems like they had a pretty good following yeah. after that first record. There were some good tributes being made. You know, like when you went into your impermanence uh, <laughs> soliloquy there, I thought I thought you were going to talk about Rush Limbaugh <laughs> uh, kicking the can yeah. this week. Uh, Limbaugh died. Uh, you know, does he have an indie rock connection? Did, no, did Limbaugh the, ever uh, do? No, most of the so. time, if you were to hear uh, him referenced on music, it would be like rap albums for obvious reasons, and also the Slayer song "Ditto Head." And you know, you don't really want to post a oh, you don't right. really want to post a Slayer song because they've got their own messed up politics too. It's kind of a lesser of two evils sort of situation in that regard. Yeah. Was that like a was that Slayer song like a Rush Limbaugh tribute? Like was that a deliberate <laughs> like shout out to I'm Rush? I'm pretty sure it was like against Rush Limbaugh given the fact that it came out in 1994. I think like latter day Slayer, like the kind where you just only see them in the news when like Kerry King or something like that says something stupid. Maybe they would have been like maybe that would have been a tribute, but I think like 94. Uh I think that was like I can't remember the exact Slayer album, but like No, that I mean that was like peak Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, exactly. Like '94. That so that I mean, they were if they weren't fans, they were tuning in. They at least knew the term "ditto head." I'm surprised they don't have a song called "Feminazi." <laughs> I feel like that would have been a total Slayer song. I think. Title I think by that point, point I think by that point, Slayer was still kind of considered like, um, you know, uh, like kind of a radical sort of band, like on the good side of things, but. Um, you know, like, yeah. I, I think Inexorable March of Time, like, pretty much all, you know, all of your favorite metal bands end up doing, like, something problematic. I mean, last year I had to go through it when the guy from Deftones revealed himself as, like, a flat earther slash anti-vaxxer. Um, and, yeah, it's just, I mean, we could have an entire show about, like, all the things our favorite acts from the 90s have done to, um, you know, lessen their esteem in our eyes. We could have, like five episodes about Billy Corgan alone. You know, the thing with Limbaugh and, you know, we don't want to go too deep in the weeds with Limbaugh yeah. here. It can, you know, there might be, maybe there's, maybe there's indie cast listeners who love Lush, Rush Limbaugh. You know, I, I, you might be out there, you know, we'll, we'll just leave it as it is. But one thing that I resented about Rush Limbaugh dying, I guess that was on Tuesday. Yes. No, it was Wednesday. Yeah, that was, that was, he died on yeah, Wednesday, that was Wednesday. Is that 
he upstaged the death of Carmen. Ah, yes. The uh, the Christian rock singer, who I think his, his death was announced like at in the morning you know, about yeah in the morning. It was like nine or ten in the morning Central Time, and then Limbaugh died, or his his death was announced like an hour later. So. There was like a, a brief window of like Carmen appreciation, <laughs> which I, I was like maybe one of the few people saluting Carmen because I actually saw Carmen live. Wow. Uh, in like in like 91, 92 at the Brown County Arena in Green Bay. <laughs> it was like some youth youth group thing. It was like one of the first arena concerts I ever went to. And uh, for, for those who don't know, Carmen, he's this kind of weird dude yeah. Who was in the Christian rock scene of the '80s and '90s, and I called him like the Robert Palmer of Christian rock at yeah. that time because he he was like a middle aged man. He he wore suits and he had a song called "Addicted, Addicted to, Jesus. to Jesus." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that was like his biggest hit. Yeah, and it was Carmen. It's it's spelled like Carman. Yeah, what what C-A-R-M-A-N. happened? C a r m a n. What happened? Yes, what happened on that morning? Like, okay. In in addition to you know the many many real ways in which you know my. A uh, lovely girlfriend uh, enhances my life. She grew up in uh, like the church, and you know she showed me a bunch of Carmen videos last year, particularly like "Addicted to Jesus." Like those videos are like avant-garde art. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. You kind of have to see them to believe them, especially like the talking parts in the middle where it gets kind of like boys to men. Um, but, oh yeah. But 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 I woke up and she's like, "Carmen died," and I was thinking like, "Wait, like that." You know, that kind of twee rap act that like K-A-R-M-I-N. Like, I, oh, I, yeah. That's, that's what like I thought do it like was. The, like the white, Carmen, like they were, like they would do like the white people versions of yeah. like, rap songs, right? Yeah, exactly. And, they on, and they ended up on SNL for some reason. I think so. And I think they also changed their name. At some and point. Kind of, yeah. So I thought that was who she was talking about. But as it turns <laughs> out, it was the it was the guy that you're referring to. And you know, like it. Yeah. That her 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 growing and she's also been on several podcasts. You can check out the Heathen podcast about that. But um the opening the door for a lot of the things that you're describing, like the big like Christian youth stuff, I can't believe I was really ever covering like particularly emo and DIY type things without a real fundamental knowledge of that world because there is oh, such yeah. a there is such a connection. Um Oh totally. Like 90s Christian rock, I think. I don't know I wonder if there has been a book written about that or if there's a documentary on that. Well, uh, there, if there th- is, I'd love to read it or see if it's a movie. I mean, I think that's such a fascinating oh, yeah. world. Well, D- David Bazan had a documentary out, I believe, last year and um, from Pedro the Lion, of course. And he, there was like a, a good deal of footage from Cornerstone. And Cornerstone Festival, gosh, you would see like – Norma Jean over the Rhine and like Pedro the Lion, like alphabetically, just a just a really crazy combination of like really polite folk, but also kind of metalcore and uh, like Christian adjacent music, like we me without you or whatever. Um, yeah, it, it's 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 a fascinating world. <laughs> but then you had bands that like were. You know, because you're talking about like indie groups that have like Christian connotations that can oh, kind of course, go yeah. between both. There were like Christian acts that had like legitimately huge hits that were like DC Talk, defiantly Jars Christian. Of Clay. Yeah, DC, <laughs> yeah, DC Talk, the the album Jesus Freak. Yep. I on my old podcast, Celebration Rock, Riley Walker. <laughs> I was about to podcast, say, <laughs> he and I, we he and I went deep on Jesus Freak because <laughs> that was like that album came out when I was in high school and I was still going to church at that time. And like Jesus Freak was like the soundtrack of like every like youth group meeting, you know. <laughs> you put that record on, and I think that album went platinum. I mean, it was like a sizable hit. Yeah. And then you had yeah Jars of Clay, Amy uh, the Newsboys, yeah, like having Michael W. Smith, Smith like yeah. they all had like like pop hits. Um, it's very fascinating, and I feel like after that, it became more of the like switchfoot. Uh, Switchfoot, MXPX came from uh, Christian rock world. Um, Tooth and nail, baby. <laughs> whereas I, f- I feel like you know later on when you get into the like the two thousands and two thousand tens, it's more bands that are like vague about 
their Christianity, mm-hmm. like where they could be talking about a girl, they could be talking about the son of God, you know, it's just like a general expression of love and devotion. Uh, so they're, yeah. they're a little bit cannier. I mean, Creed is another band that was like kind of uh, connected to that uh, as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a fascinating world. So anyone listening, yeah. if you're aware of a book or a documentary that kind of dives into like the DC Talk Newsboys world. I would love to see that. Or maybe we need to do that ourselves. We need to just stop waiting yeah. for someone else to do it and uh make it a IndieCast project. But yeah, shout out shout out to Carmen <laughs> IndieCast presents. Shout out to Carmen, totally yeah. upstaged by Rush Rest Limbaugh. In power. <laughs> yeah. Upstaged by Rush Limbaugh. We're giving Carmen his due here on IndieCast. That's right. Um let's get to our mailbag segment here and this question comes from Dan in Connecticut. And thank you, Dan, for putting where you're from in in your name. I I feel like that's a good <laughs> model for other listeners to follow when they write into the show. I like it. it kind of sounds like this is like uh, you know long distance dedication, Casey Kasem. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, American Top Forty. That's probably like a super old reference that like the Zoomers and the Millennials won't understand. But anyway. Two, two things I wanted to share after this most recent episode. Number one, please don't change the format of the intro by framing it around annoying stuff that happened over the past week. You guys have a great gag going where you ask Ian how he's doing and he sighs before laying all his qualms out for the world to hear <laughs> without ever answering your question. Well, thank you. That's not a bit. That's not, that's a, not bit, a bit, man. That is, it's organic. That's not a bit. That That is me bearing my soul for the world to hear but i appreciate the fact that you enjoy it dan from connecticut yeah and you know the i mean we we normally talk about like annoying music narratives this week i don't there weren't really any that jumped out to me this week (laughs) maybe i maybe my filters were just really good uh on twitter the the post phoebe the the post phoebe hangover i think that's what what oh yeah 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 the previous week was like bananas yeah (laughs) Uh, and i think everyone just felt like ah all right Let's take a week off after the after yeah. the guitar smashing debacle. Uh, number two, when you get around to the Animal Collective episode, which we've been talking about doing, we want to do an Animal Collective episode at some point, which I think we'll do pretty soon. I would love to hear right. a postmortem on Yaysayer. Maybe it's because I was 24 at the time of Odd Blood coming out, but I believed they had a shot at becoming huge. Uh, kind of related, I want to share and remind you guys that when Yeezyer played 2080 on Letterman, it was one of those moments when Dave was genuinely taken by what he had witnessed. Unfortunately, you can't find that video on YouTube anymore, uh, but it's another example like that time that Future Islands played on Letterman. So anyway, keep it up, guys. Love the show. Dan in Connecticut. So Dan wants (laughs) us to talk about Yeezyer, and I just want to say that like, I picked this question intentionally. Because I knew Ian would be all over it, and I, I think I wanted to butter you up yes. a little bit before we talk about the hold steady, uh, you know, cause, which I expect to be a contentious conversation. But like, mm. this is a band I don't really have any strong opinions on personally. I guess all I would say is that I've been thinking about this era of indie rock, you know, this like early 2010s era, like a lot lately, and it kind of ties into like the, the yuck <laughs> thing that we were talking about earlier. That that yeah. that yuck record. I was listening to the Palm of Violets this week. Do you remember that band? Oh, wow. Best of Friends? Yeah, that's kind of very, very different sort of vibe. But yeah, Palm of Violets. I think I reviewed one of their albums. Yeah. Or maybe I'm thinking of the Vaccines. They're, they all kind of mush Kind together. of like in the same vein, but Best of Friends is, is a great song. Yeah. The, the rest of their records is solid. But just like thinking about that era in general as like a time when you had like a lot of for lack of a better term, like B-list indie acts that could still mm. get on David Letterman, you know, and I think Yaysayer, I think at the time they were perceived to be like, I think they were critically acclaimed in some circles, but they were, you know, like a notch below like Animal Collective and Grizzly Bear and, and Dirty Projectors and yeah. like that art rock indie hierarchy of like the late aughts and early 2010s. But just thinking about that as a time like where you had this sort of robust scene where you had like these B-list acts <laughs> who you felt like could still have like a pretty good career and like good exposure. And I don't know if that exists as much really now. Mm. It seems like you have to be, it seems like there's like a core of about maybe say a dozen indie people that get a lot of attention that will get on television and, you know, 
pop up on social media pretty regularly. I mean, a dozen might actually be overly generous. It might just be like mm. Phoebe Bridgers <laughs> and like two other people. But um, I don't know. So that's, I guess, my thought on Ye Sayer, that they're kind of part of that like pre-2013 era of indie yeah. that I'm curious about. And like we're about a decade removed from it now, so it seems like a natural time to reflect on it. I almost want like a Nuggets-style compilation <laughs> that compiles all these bands so we can just re- be remembered or we can just be reminded of this era because I feel like a lot of these bands I'll have tell kind you of what, through the cracks. I put together last year um, a 10-hour Let's Remember Some Guys mix and I mean, I think like I can post that, you know, <laughs> when we announce, uh, uh, when we when we go live. It, it has a lot of those bands. Yesay would actually be too big for that uh, list. But yeah, I, you're right in that, you know, there... The, the way that there was like this robust B-list of indie rock type acts like almost makes that era seem like, you know, the 90s compared to now, you know, because like in 2013 or like 2010, it was like, man, it'd be cool if like these bands would just go platinum for no reason, like the B-list of that era. But now it's you're right. It's like uh, maybe this B-list slash, you know, upper middle class exists and we just don't recognize it. But, you know, with Yaysayer. Gosh, I have a lot of opinions about. It. We could do an entire episode of Yay Sayer if it, if it really came down to it. But you're 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 right in that. I think you know, they're not like the definitive band of the era in the same way that like say Animal Collective or MGMT or uh, Dirty Projectors or Grizzly Bear were. But I think this is a concept I've toyed with a lot in my writing. Is that I think the definitive band, like the the bands that really define what it was like to be there at the time are like the B listers, like. The number 34 album of the year defines the time way more than the number one because, um, you know, here I, I was watching an episode of Search Party. Um, great show, by the way. And they flash back to the scene where the characters are graduating from NYU and it's clearly supposed to be like 2009, 2010-ish. And they're at a bar and you hear Grizzly Bears two weeks. You know, that's a great one, great, great song to let you know that like, yeah, this is the era. This is New York. I would have went with Matt and Kim's Daylight to really drive it home. Oh, man. But like, yeah, two years prior, like you would have heard probably like a mainstream song to let you know it's 2007. You would have heard like All My Friends, you know, the LCD sound system version, not like Counting Crows. And you would have heard like maybe Paper Planes. But if you were to play 2080, like that just hits the bullseye of like Brooklyn 2007. And it's just in a way that doesn't really transcend its time and place. And, you know, they, they were a band that like kind of like were a little late to the party. Uh, you know, they kind of sounded a little bit like TV on the radio, a little bit like Animal Collective. They had the floor toms. They had the wavy reverb. They had the harmonies. But Odd Blood, man, what a record. Like, they just don't make them like that anymore. And I mean <laughs> in the sense that, like, the songs on that album are either incredible or, like, really bad. And I don't think you get that kind of, like, like what, like what a numerical rating system just does an album like that no justice. Because you have, like, Ambling Alp and, like, One and Matter Red, which are just really awesome state-of-the-art like B-list indie songs for lack of a better term. And then you get like, there's one song Rome that kind of reminds me of fish in a way that's like, okay. And also there's like the other song where the, I think the lyric is literally like, like everybody's talking about me and my baby making love to the morning light. Like that's towards the end of it. And, um, and you have to like, if, if you get anything out of this episode, please look up the ambling Alp video. Like it's, it really needs to be seen to be believed, but also, it's it's worth looking at because you see that you see those visuals and you realize like that was what was hot in indie rock in 2010 and anytime you think well not you know this is where we're at nothing's ever going to change like we are stuck in this 2020 21 trend cycle like just just look at ambling out because all things are fleeting and like what seems like cool now like in five years, I guarantee, like that's you, we'll be talking about whatever that is now. Um, you know, kind of a side note with um, where I thought Yesayer could have really like gone the distance and at least been, you know, kind of like a local natives for Brooklyn, like where they aren't like you know the national per se, but they still like carve out this really cool space of um, just making really good music. But 
Then Fragrant World in 2012 came out. I think with that album, they kind of messed up because there was like a press photo for that album where like they all looked like they they were like smelling something weird. And the name of the album is Fragrant World. And so the jokes wrote themselves. But, you know, I wrote the review for that record and I'm told that it went live like right before the encore of the record release show. And for that reason, like, you know, that kind of killed the night and like the manager's still mad at me for that reason. He'll, I think, pop up every now and again on Twitter to like talk shit. But yeah, just, just, just two that just 2012 freelancer memories, Steve. You know, that, that's what the people. I was want. just thinking, like you said, like oh, we could do an episode on Yesair. I feel like it would be you monologuing for 50 minutes. I would say like, how's it going, Ian? And then you would talk about <laughs> Yesair for 50 minutes because you just had like several minutes of talking about Yesair. Way more thoughts than I've ever given to this band. I don't really, I don't really <laughs> remember anything about Odd Blood. Um, I remember the album cover oh my being kind of cool, but yeah. I don't know. But yeah. again, I have a lot of affection for that early 2010s era and definitely post your 10 hour playlist. I, I would definitely like to dive into that. Uh, get yes. my nostalgia going here. Um, so let's segue now into our hold steady conversation. We're talking about the hold steady because they have a new album out today. It's called open door policy. Um, I think it's a really strong record. I uh, did a story on this band that ran last week. It was sort of like an oral history in a way of all their records, looking at the arc of their career. And, uh, you know, I have to say that like, I, I somewhat dreaded talking about this on the podcast because this is the band that Ian and I, I think have argued about the most in the time that we've known each other. And, Whenever this band comes up, you know, you, you sort of like reflexively <laughs> scoff. It, that's happened on yeah. this show, too. Like you, And I know you can't help it. And I imagine it's maybe the same feelings that you have talking about the 1975 with me. Because I, <laughs> especially at this point, I tend to sort of reflexively scoff at them whenever they come up. And it just got me thinking, because I was trying to think, well, how can Ian and I connect with, with the whole city? And I was trying to think of like... What links the Hold Steady and the 1975? Two bands that if you looked at them superficially, you would say they have nothing in common. Vagrant Records. I figured it out. Well, it's Vagrant, Vagrant Records. Records. But see, let me just run this by you, and you could tell me if okay. I'm insane. I feel that what links the yeah. 1975 and the Hold Steady is that both bands are writing about a youth culture in a specific moment in time. So Craig Finn, for instance, he's writing about... Hmm the punk scene basically as it existed in the 80s and 90s. And he's writing about these characters who are sort of moving in this space. And he's setting it to music, or the band is setting it to music, that speaks to the people who would most relate to stories set in the 80s and 90s. So it's this sort of like fist-pumping arena rock that I think, for the most part, we we consider to be sort of like a bygone era of music, even though there are still bands making Mm. that kind of music. But the peak of that where that was at the center of the culture is obviously past. Then you have the 1975 and you have Maddie Healy, who I think in a similar kind of way is writing about sort of like the youth culture of today. And when I say youth culture, I'm talking about people who are in their teens and twenties, you know, young adults Mm -hmm. essentially. And he's setting it to music that would make sense to that audience, which is this sort of like streaming platform, pan genre kind of music, touching on pop, indie rock, R and B, all that kind of stuff. So I think in that respect, which is a pretty broad connection, but I think there's a very (laughs) – that would be the similarity there. Does that at all make sense to you, that theory? Um, I hear what you're saying, and if I'm – and I can generously see it, but I think that um, you can make that argument that, like, really anyone can be the hold steady of their demographic. Um, I think the the major difference – no, you can't because they're writing about something I think specific about like there's there's okay. like young people you know the, like the thematic concerns I think right. are similar. Like not everyone writes about like young people operating in a specific space during a particular period of time. You know, I think the 1975 1975- Boys and Girls in America is I think Boys and Girls in America is a 1975ish title. That I can that I can allow. And it's very pink and uh there's like sparkles yeah, on it and good stuff. Point. So <laughs> Again, not much of a connection aesthetically, but like I think philosophically, I think you can make a connection there. Like mm. that, like that would be the comparison mm. I would make. 
comparing these two bands that in every other respect you would never put in the same sentence. And I'm only yeah. and I'm only doing that in the context of this show. So we can I I'm trying to reach out to yeah. you here, Ian, so that we can maybe find some yeah. common ground on the hold steady because your position on this band I just find to be confounding for me. <laughs> and, and maybe you should say what it is because I mean because I mean, yeah. we've had this conversation for years now, but like I mean, this band okay. like this band I, like irritates you, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, in some way, yeah, it's a it's in the same way that like I don't like hate Ice Age, but it's fun to kind of have a bit. Like I think with Hold Steady, with, with bands like this, it's like I would much rather listen to the Hold Steady than a lot of other bands, but like. You know, I, I think there's like a narcissism of small differences type thing going on because like when I look at the Hold Steady, um, as far as like what they represent, what they sing about, um, their fans also like list on Spotify is basically like the, I mean, it's like every band I like, like it's Japan Joys, it's Titus, it's uh, like, how do I not like the Hold Steady? And I've had to think about it for a long time and I, I've... I've thought really deeply. And when I look, I have to like look back at the source of it. Like I first became aware of them on Separation Sunday, which I think the people that Craig Finn sings about on Separation Sunday probably have heard some Carmen in their lifetime. So that <laughs> there's the connection there. Cause it is kind of like a, a, it is kind of like a, you know, a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter or whatever you want to call it type story. But, you know, I look back at like 2005 when, you know, I, I was aware of Almost Killed Me and I tried with uh, Separation Sunday, which, you know, my in 2005, like I like I was really on the cutting edge, so to speak. Like everything I like, like everything I liked was what you would see on the year end list. There was almost like 90 percent overlap. And, you know, what I didn't like about 2005, you know, I wasn't totally in on LCD sound system. I wasn't I hated Art Brute, hated Art Brute. And I think that like kind of pointed out with the whole steady there having common is like kind of a a self-knowingly clever sort of approach to songwriting. And also like around that time, I've just kind of realized that like the Bukowski Kerouac sort of like a uh, mindset of it's like kind of hyper masculine male writing didn't really appeal to me as well, which is why I don't really get down with, you know, anything besides the 59 sound from Gaslight Anthem or really the weaker thans or, Mountain Goats. I mean, like, they don't really write like Bukowski or Kerouac, but there's a lot of overlap in that sort of kind of hard scrabble, like, you know, tough guy sort of writing. And so I think the whole study definitely combined these two things. And um, when I listen to Separation Sunday, um, I, I feel like they're a band that's about rock music rather than a rock band. Like, I listen to them as if it's someone talking to me at a party about... Uh, you know, a Thin Lizzy record. And, you know, I think the, what I, I, and I actually like Boys and Girls in America because it felt kind of more like live action than Separation Sunday and the stuff that came after. Like, it felt like a song I would hear at a party. It felt like the sort of, like a, a song, like a whole steady album that people the whole steady would write about would hear. But, well, like the bands that we talked about, like kind of coming in after the fact, like in 2000, would you say that Stay Positive was kind of the beginning of their decline as an A-list act? Well, I think that record, I mean, that's like maybe my favorite record of theirs. And I know what? like when I talked to Craig and Tad from The Hold Steady, they talked about mm -hmm. that being an extension essentially of Boys and Girls in America. That yeah. it was like recorded at the same place. They had the same producer. You know, they wrote those songs on the road. I mean, I think the next uh -huh. record... Um, Heaven is Whenever is like where they really kind of yeah. dropped off. Like Fr Franz Nicolay left the band. They uh, yeah. rushed. In retrospect, they kind of felt like that record was overly slick. I know like fans didn't really like it at the time. I think that record actually yeah. has aged pretty well. There was a 10th anniversary mm -hmm. uh, expanded edition that came out last year that has like mm -hmm. a ton of outtakes that are like really good and it's kind of an interesting record. I mean, the thing with the Hold Steady that. Uh, I think is uh, has made them even more endearing to me at this point is that they are a band yeah. that I think started out referencing classic rock 
in a pretty like deliberate kind of way in a way that I think was very unfashionable at that time. Like you mentioned LCD sound system. I think there are some similarities between like James Murphy as a songwriter and Craig Finn. The difference is that LCD sound system from the beginning was operating in this realm of like cool music, you know, that like, like that, that critics were going to really like that is always, uh, you know, sort of considered to be, you know, quote unquote, like good music. Whereas, you know, Craig and Tad, when they talked in my story, I mean, they were very conscious of the fact that the stuff that they were referencing, like, you know, Springsteen and Bob Seger and, you know, Thin Lizzy, mm-hmm. stuff like that, especially at that time, was, like, not cool at all and, like, was not going to be yeah. something that um, that critics were going to go for, which is ironic because they were, like, a critic's darling for about five yeah. years. And then, really for the mm-hmm. last ten years... They haven't been anywhere near being a critic's darling, although I think the last two records have been written about uh, pretty positively, and and for good reason. I mean, I think they are one of those bands that has had the arc now of a classic rock band, where they start out strong, they had this period where it was sort of like a wilderness time, and now they've sort of reemerged, like they're in the Some Girls Tattoo You era of 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 their arc right now, (laughs) which I think is, is pretty great. You know, it's funny, like your thing about it's like rock it's about rock music it's not rock music which i've heard you say before and i don't agree with that but yeah. i think that's a compelling argument against them even though yeah I, I mean that that isn't true for me and i don't think it's true for people who actually like that band because they do have like a real sort of devoted following that has stayed with them yeah. even after they've you know no longer been the sort of critical band of choice um so i mm-hmm. if it was just purely about intellectualizing music i think they would have faded a long time ago they would have gone the way of art brute mm. who i don't know if art brute <laughs> even still a band I don't, I don't i haven't heard from them in a long time uh, no disrespect to art brute or maybe all disrespect yeah, to art brute. I, yeah I, disrespect to art brute that, that i'm sucks, sort of man. um oh, god the worst i'm i'm indifferent to them i don't really have a strong opinion either way but um your comment about music about music i think that to go to my sort of hackneyed theory from before, I think that applies at least as much to the 1975 as it does to the whole study. I feel like there's such a meta element to everything that they do where, yeah, they play all these different kinds of music, but I feel like there's always sort of this like underlining of it. It's like, yeah, we're a band that's doing this, you know, and, and we're sort of commenting on it as we're doing it. And I have to say, like, I don't mind that personally. I mean... I'm a music critic, so like I guess I'm constantly intellectualizing music. So when bands do that, I don't care as long as the music is still good and and they can pull it off. Um, but um, I don't know. It's just interesting to me I've, that you love I've, Japan Droids and you love Titus Andronicus. I think you're the only person who loves those <laughs> two bands that doesn't like the Hold Steady. And I, I'm just yeah, but with with those bands like. You're right in that, like I am a I am a music critic. Uh, I intellectualize music a lot, and I think about the times when I'm at, like, say, Pitchfork Festival, which it, you know the 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 music writer Coachella, and I like I find myself getting into a conversation about like like a live action version of Twitter, and it's like oh, I don't want to talk about this any like I like can we talk about something else? And I think with Japan droids that like it was just they just made actual like rock music about like the emotion of it all like I felt like they were there with me um and I think with also with Titus Andronicus like you would feel that like you know Patrick Snickles is right in the mix with you and moreover like Japan droids like reminded me of like actual bands on Vagrant like Get Up Kids or Saves the Day uh, and Titus Andronicus sounded more like Bright Eyes, so they kind of got me out of that like classic rock kind of mindset. But I think the connection with LCD Sound System and Craig Finn is that like you know they even if uh, you know like LCD Sound System were about cool music, you never really thought like James Murphy was a cool guy. That's like what better you know to win over critics, particularly in like 2005 and six, than like uncool guys talking about music that is in some way, shape or form cool. Um, but I never got that degree of like distance from Japan droids, like, or Titus Andronicus or, you know, whatever bands have come up in the dudes rock canon. Um, but I mean, I think with the, the whole steady being 
kind of typified as a dudes rock band. Like, do you, I think they've kind of like admirably weathered uh, what sort of backlash they could have gotten from that, and they just kind of exist in this own sort of uh, sort of realm where that you don't have to have an opinion on the whole steady, uh, you know, if you don't want to. Like not the not the way he had to in like two thousand five or six, but you know I I do have to admire them like just kind of you know just pushing through. Craig made a couple of well received solo albums, and now um, I don't think like you get a couple of wisecracks about the whole steady every now and again, but you it, I think they've I I think they've shown a path if Japan Joys ever really do come back that they can just kind of exist in this place where. You know, they you you can be you can kind of just rock safe. It's like the rock and fun zone, if you well, will, and, to get a Simpsons reference and, going. And I'll say too that like with the hold steady, I like the fact that the lyrics and the music are sort of operating on different levels because I think that's the advantage to me or the strength of them versus a band like Japan Droids, which is a band I love, but like there's nothing going on lyrically with Japan Droids. And I think those records suffer in the long run after that. Like if you aren't up late drinking heavily and listening to Celebration Rock, if you're listening to it in the light of day, it doesn't hit quite as strong. Whereas I think with Hold Steady songs, there's such great storytelling going on in those. And you can appreciate it on that level, or you can just tune out the lyrics and enjoy like really heavy riffs. And in that respect, they work on the same level for me as a band like Drive By Truckers works, or you know. I love that band. You know, too. that was that's that's the odd thing, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love the Drive By Truckers back in back in two thousand five. Of course, I also lived in Athens, Georgia, so maybe that had something. To yeah, do that, with that, it, but... that that's the perfect place to listen to them. Well, <laughs> let's segue to a band that we do agree upon, and. Yes. I think it's fair to say that like we are the like loudest cheerleaders for this band and we're trying to implore yeah. the rest of the media to get <laughs> into them and uh, I, I don't know maybe we're just not persuasive enough or or, or it's going to take a long time but the band is called Wild Pink and you've heard us talk about this band on this show before you if you know Ian and I if you read our writing you, you, we've written about this band um, they have a new record that's out today called A Billion Little Lights and uh if you don't know Wild Pink, they're a trio from Brooklyn. Their first album came out in 2017. Uh, they're led by uh, the singer-songwriter named John Ross, who uh, makes a living by writing music for commercials. I think he still does that. Um, when I mm. when I interviewed him the first time uh, back in 17, he had just written music for a Lowe's commercial, which I thought was interesting. Right. And he's written music for all sorts of places. Um, the next record, Yoke and the Fur, came out in 2018. That was, I think, an even better record than the first one. Yes. And now you have A Billion Little Lights, which I think is even better than Yoke and the Fur. And this is an interesting record. It was originally intended to be a double album about the American West. <laughs> it was going to be this grand sort of concept <laughs> record. And then I think Ross got in the studio and realized that uh, maybe it's best just to pair this back and put out a single record of just songs. Mm. And that's what they did. And, you know, to me, this is... The kind of band that I feel like should be popular. I mean, there's there's bands that I love that I understand why they don't become popular because for whatever reason, you know, yeah. it, it's just not connecting with like what most people want. And it's like, I accept that. But like Wild Pink, they basically make like vibey indie rock with like really good lyrics. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, like they're sort of like a rootsier version of the war on drugs basically like on this record there's like beautiful like pedal steel guitar parts there's like violin in there but it mm -hmm. has that same sort of synthy dreamy rock sound that you hear on like lost in the dream and a deeper understanding um and obviously a lot of people love the war on drugs but like wild pink even though like they literally slot next to the war on drugs in the record store you don't have to go very far from war on drugs to wild pink oh, yeah. you can just pick up both records or, you know, on your streaming service or whatever. Um, it's, it seems like the critical mass isn't quite there yet for this band. I, I guess I'm hoping that this is the album that is sort of like the, the grower record for people that people gradually discover and they just end up listening to it all the time. Because, I mean, I think you and I agree that this, I mean, it's, it's early in the year, but I think we both expect this to be among our favorite albums of, of 2021. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and also maybe just like a preemptive apology because... 
I feel like, you know, when you get like that, that indie cast seal of approval, like it kind of puts you in that space of like, you were like, I understand why like young Jesus, a band like them hasn't completely crossed over because, you know, they make pretty difficult, like seven minute songs or what have you. But like, I think about, you know, symbols, the guitars or empty country. It's like when you get, when you get the indie cast seal of approval, you wonder if it just kind of limits you to like having the same dozen people rave over it over and over again. But like with this one, I like, I do, I do think that they've leveled up in a way that's like pretty blatant. I also think that John regrets the fact that he like told me about the double album. It's a good thing to talk about in interviews, but um, yeah, it's like, War on Drugs, like, it sounds a little bit like War on Drugs. I don't actually hear a lot of War on Drugs because, like, with War on Drugs, it's almost like a Japan Droids, like, Hold Steady sort of comparison where, like, I don't know, uh, I don't think I know a single Hold, uh, I'm sorry, I don't think I hold, I don't think I know a single War on Drugs lyric. I was listening to Red Eyes the other day, and, like, I think the only lyric I know from that song is Woo. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that thing he says where, like, the chorus comes in. That's all you need. it, it, it. yeah, but with Wild Pink, it, the lyrics have always played a central part, like of the music. Like even from, by the way, before the self-titled album, two thousand seventeen, you got like some of it. It sounds like punky almost. Like they had another song that sounded like the nineteen seventy five that they just put out for a compilation. But he wrote from a way that reminds me more of like almost like Phoebe Bridgers or like Waxahachie or what have you. Like these albums where people. Like it, it, it's got like a really beautiful exterior, kind of folky, very accessible, but like the lyrics are like very, very quotable. And um, I think the evolution that he's shown from like the first album was like very hyper referential um, about like living in New York and just being in your own head full of like geographic signifiers. And um, I think that's the thing that keeps them kind of grounded and keeps them special because um you know, like a song like Lake Erie from Yoke in the Fur, um, it just sounds like, you know, a, a war on drugs song or like a like a, what what you might say is like the a yaysayer version of a of a of a war on drugs song. But like the lyrics are about like a terrible car crash and like thoughts about space and time. And, you know, the new album as well has like references to watching Temple of Doom and watching Heat and um, these things that like just it's almost like destroyer in a way where it's it, it just th- it's from a very personal perspective but it keeps you off balance yeah yeah and, um, and, and, and keeps you like constantly engaged and it's this great combination i think of classic songwriting and like really great sort of almost avant-garde uh like ambient type elements you know yeah. and which is also because eerie gates yeah. yeah the eerie gates records that he's put out which are uh these instrumental records that at times it almost reminds me of like william tyler's more sort of atmospheric stuff yes. like it has this um you know they're guitar records that have like this sort of spacey americana element to it laced with like some of the like mid-70s brian eno type elements like art mm. rock type stuff but then you talk to him um as a songwriter and he'll talk forever about like Jackson Brown and like he loves like Tunnel of Love the Springsteen record and he loves Tom Petty he's definitely coming from that school of a songwriter you know where it's again songwriters that are writing stories essentially that uh, like little vignettes that have um, these understated but really powerful payoffs at the end so that combination of like again this um, sort of atmospheric music and like just bedrock singer songwriter type storytelling um it's something i'm always a sucker for personally and (laughs) you know i don't know if maybe people don't appreciate that as much generally i mean i I feel like they do i mean you you mentioned phoebe bridgers i mean waxahachi obviously the saint cloud that was a big record in, in 2020 um and you don't have to squint your eyes too much to put this record like in that same kind of company you know it's certainly like working he's the same sort of aesthetic regions i think are similar and he's really trying to level up with this one as well. Like, you know, Tiny Engines had their whole implosion. Now, uh, Wild Pink is on Royal Mountain, which has like Always and Mac DeMarco. And he, you know, they're working with Justin Pizzferrato, I believe the name of the previous producer, a guy who is like, you know, does a lot of indie rock uh, around Boston. And now they're working with a guy who worked with like Cage the Elephant and Beck. Uh, the first video had. Um, 
uh, like uh, Annie from Shit's Creek, I believe, um, on there as well. And it's just all these things that in most years, like would signify this band is going to level up. They're going to be on festivals. They're going to or or become like an opening band, like for a big actual rock, uh, you know, famous rock band. And I, I hear this album and I think like, what does it even mean? Like, like what would leveling up even mean for a band like Wild Pink in 2021? Like how would how would we know well, <laughs> if they had like reached another level? I mean, I think this is the kind of band that I suspect is never going to have the big splashy uh, breakout moment, you know, that we can all point to and say like this was the year of Wild Pink. My suspicion is that we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna look back in ten years and there's gonna be all these people that sort of gradually came to this band and. Then yeah. we're gonna say like, wow, they sort of amassed this big audience right under our noses. You know, I think they could be mm-hmm. that kind of band. That's my hope, anyway. I mean, I I hope they have the big splashy moment. That would be great. But there's something um, a little unassuming about this band. I think that yeah. prevents that. Like they're, you know, we talk about stupid music narratives on this show all the time. Mm-hmm. There's really no narrative you could put to this band. I don't think. I mean, they don't work that way. Uh, in the way that like a lot of artists do, uh, but maybe the upside of that is that then they just won't burn out as quickly as maybe those more narrative-y acts will. I know that's my hope. Anyway, please listen to this record, A Billion Little Lights. Ian and I love it. It's great. If that's a detriment that we're giving it the Indicacio of approval, <laughs> ignore us. Sorry. <laughs> ignore us and listen to it anyway. It's a great record. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? All right. So uh, the record I want to talk about this week is uh, out uh, out today on Run for Cover, you know, a label that usually deals in heavier forms of rock music, like you know, basically 95% of it's produced by Will Yip. But um, another Michaels uh, album, New Music and Big Pop, uh, comes out today, and it's 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 much different than what you would usually expect from this label. They're a band that's been kicking around for a while. They started out in Albany, New York, and then uh, moved to Philadelphia. And this album, uh, it, it it reminds me a lot of maybe like Lomelda from last year. It's got a sound of like be, like kind of being big and orchestral, but also like twee. And I would think that this band was from Sweden if I hadn't been following them for that long. I think it's the 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 falsetto vocals reminds me of stuff of like Loney Deer from you know you want to talk about like uh, remember some guys but um yeah I think with this one it's it's a lot of it's about like kind of the experience of hearing new music like the first song is literally called new music uh, it's about like hearing songs on the internet and the feeling about and the, uh, how that feels and how it can open up new worlds there's a second song in the middle called Big Pop sort of about the same thing and um. I think for for the the current moment, like I hate, you know, putting like what does it mean for the narrative being in quarantine? Like I think we're beyond that. But with this record, it is, in a way, like a very gentle, calming, but not like wimpy album about the experience of like hearing music online and uh, just being together with other people and like sharing thoughts about like what it means to be an artist and. Um, yeah, I, th- I see this one as kind of a grower as well. I, I mean, even compared to like the whole steady and, you know, wild pink, uh, if you want to consider those the big ticket ones, like this is a little flying under the radar, but, um, I, I kind of see it having a very slow, like the people who would, who would like this or the people who love like, you know, citizen or, uh, you know, nothing, but like want to have like a folk record they can listen to. I think this is the one for them. So uh highly recommend this one kind of a sleeper hit and also for for like it's not the screamo albums i usually put in this uh in this part of this in the uh, episode so nice all right well i want to talk about a band uh their record's actually coming out a week from today but uh you can Ah. check out their singles on streaming platforms uh which i definitely recommend doing the band is called nervous dater and the record is called call in the mess and uh nervous dater is a band from new york they're led by this singer-songwriter named rachel leitner and um 
I really like this record a lot. I, I, I got the promo, I guess, a few weeks ago, and it's been in my uh, steady rotation ever since then. I guess that's why I'm anxious to talk about it in this show. I'm jumping ahead a week, but maybe I can build up a, a nervous dater wave uh, going into February 26th. But mm-hmm. I would say that if you are a fan of bands like, say, Hop Along or Rat Boys, I think you'll be into this group. I mean, this is a band that, similar to those yeah. bands, plays this sort of chunky 90s-style indie rock but from the perspective of like a really strong sort of singer songwriter in the middle. So like you get the, uh, you get the drive and the power of a band, but you feel like you're really getting sort of a singular perspective in the middle of the song. And to me, it's just like a great combination of like really melodic, you know, I think like pretty tough sounding rock songs. Um, and then like a real sort of sensitivity at, at the center Mm -hmm. of it. And, um, this band, uh, they've been around for a few years. This is their second full-length record that's going to be coming out next week. They've also put out some EPs. So uh, definitely investigate like their back catalog. And also, like I said, check out the singles. I really like the song Middle Child, which is the lead track from the record. And, and you can hear that now. Um, but yeah, uh, again, I think for fans of the kind of indie rock that we've been talking about in this episode, really like hold steady, wild pink, uh, you know, sort of story oriented indie rock, uh, melodic, melodic music with really good lyrics. I think nervous data is definitely in that, in that tradition. Yeah. Nervous data, man, like that in a weird way, this is a band that like really makes me miss live music. And because I feel like I've seen nervous data in the past, like open up for a lot of bands. I like, I feel like, like maybe I'm misremembering them opening up for like say Oso oh Oso oh or what have you, but like I just know that if there was live music right now, I would definitely be seeing Nervous Dater. You know, not just for their new record itself, which you know I also you know heartily recommend. But I they they're they're just like one of those connective tissue type bands, similar to like Retirement Party or Future Teens, where like you end up seeing them like three times in a year because they're just also around a lot of bands that I also like. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe we'll get to clubs in like 2023, you know, I guess we'll see how this vaccination rollout, if that picks up at some point. Um, It is time to wrap up this this episode of IndieCast, but thank you so much for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with more reviews, news, hashing out trends, all that jazz. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.